Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 109 of X-Lapsed, where uh, we're going a little bit off the beaten path today, but uh, also right into my own personal wheelhouse as an X-Fan here, because we're going to be taking a look at something written by Fabian Niciesa, who was uh, one of the uh, architects of my X-Men, the X-Men that I uh, fell in love with back in the early 1990s. Uh, He's also a fellow who is... uh, Somewhat roundabout responsible for me becoming really good friends with a really good friend of mine. Uh, jumping back, probably, boy, about three years, probably. Uh, Reggie and I had covered New Warriors number one on uh, the Cosmic Treadmill, and we liked it. You know, it's a, it's a decent enough issue. It's a good issue. Uh, well, this uh, fella wrote to us and said that uh, he really enjoyed the show and he also really enjoyed New Warriors until the wheels fell off of it. Um, it's been a long time since I've read the entirety of New Warriors, but, you know, that happens with a lot of properties, a lot of series. Uh, you go through little lulls here. Well, he responded to our post that was announcing or sharing the episode on social media, and, uh, well, we tagged Mr. Nisiesa, and he was kind enough to give us a, uh, a retweet there, but he was still attached to the, uh, the like, the, you know, the tweet thread, I guess. And so when my buddy mentioned that the book went off the rails, well, Fabian Niciesa got to see that. And he wrote back, hey, you know, I'm, I'm still right here. And uh, this new pal uh, sent me a message saying, hey, I'm sorry that I did that. I didn't know that Niciesa was, uh, was on the uh, tweet. And, you know, we shrugged it off. It's like, what are you going to do, right? I mean, he was speaking honestly. And I doubt that uh, Mr. Niciesa took it all that personally. I think it was just a... Uh, you know, hey, you know, some people see the things you say sort of a situation, which, uh, hey, it was, you know, it was what it was. I think that was the first time that something like that had happened to uh, to Reggie and I. So it's uh, one of those things that always kind of stands out. And it also was the roundabout way that I, I became pals with my buddy Dave, uh, who we still will refer to uh, Fabian Niciesa as Fabian Not-So-Niciesa. Which isn't really funny, but it's also kind of funny at the same time. Anyway, enough of that. Let's talk about what we're here to talk about. Now, this is Juggernaut number one. And if uh, the Marvel Wiki is to be believed, it's actually Juggernaut volume three, number one, because there were two other one-shots. There was uh, one back in the mid-90s, and then there was a Juggernaut the Eighth Day thing that tied in with, uh, I think it tied in with the Avengers and Quicksilver and stuff like that, probably right around the turn of the century or so. 
And uh, so this is our third one. Juggernaut Volume 3, number one, had a November 2020 cover date. The story's called Picking Up the Pieces, written by Fabian Natsonaisiesa, with art by Ron Garney, colors by Matt Miller, letters VCs Joe Sabino, edits Robinson White Sabolski, cover price $3.99, went on sale September 23rd, 2020. And it's interesting here, we have a first issue of a series here, and it's not $5. So, you know, thank heaven for little favors, right? Anyway, we crack this thing open, and we open with a text page. So maybe this is a, maybe this is a Dawn of X book. Huh? Nah, it's actually not quite an info page. It's more of a quick and dirty internal pep talk to Kane Marco, the juggernaut. And our story begins with him demolishing a building while a pair of millennial types film him with their phones. Turns out that Juggernaut's actually working for these two, and he's actually working for a big company that you might have heard of. And they're basically using him to... Well, tear down buildings. Damage Control, the, the company he's working for, will swoop in to clean things up. So here we are with a business relationship with uh, city backing, actually. So it's everything's on the up and up. Now, Kane remarks that he'll tear down the rest of the block at no charge. One of Kane's contacts, a Maria Hanklin, informs him and us that there are a lot of squatters, young, young people, hanging out in the buildings down the road. And, as if on cue, those same squatters start throwing rocks at the Juggernaut. Which, I mean, what's that gonna do? Then, there's a strange wave of kinetic power that washes over the area, and it would appear that one of these squatters is probably a mutant. Juggernaut realizes that this young mutant is likely in dire need of guidance and training, and wouldn't you know it, there's an island that serves exactly that purpose right now. We flash back, though, to several months earlier, and we see a depowered Kane Marco in limbo. Now, this is stemming from Ilyana Rasputin yoinking the Sidorak gem out of him and banishing him to the place. We do get an editorial footnote, but all it says is that this happened in Uncanny X-Men number 21, and by this point, I want to say there have been around five of those, so your guess is as good as mine. Anywho, the depowered Kane drags his juggernaut gear along with him for weeks on end. Here you got a picture of a scrawny dude just pulling all this armor behind him. We jump back to the present. Juggernaut's trying to find the squatting kids, claiming that he's not there to hurt anybody. He would just like to help the mutant. And he's again pelted with rocks. And I mean, he's the juggernaut. That's not going to do much. Then everything around him begins to slow down. The mutant he's dealing with has the ability to slow down kinetic motion, which, as far as mutant powers go, is pretty creative. He is then attacked by this new mutant, a girl called D-Cell, which I'm guessing is a reference to deceleration and not the, you know, the big fat battery. Now, it's worth noting she might have time-traveling abilities, too, because she's wearing a t-shirt I'm sure that I saw at a Hot Topic circa 1998 or so. You see, it's a hand with three fingers up, right? You your your pointer finger, your middle finger, and your ring finger sticking up. And then it says, read between the lines. You get it? You get it? It's like the shirt's giving you the finger. You get it? Oh, boy. Anyway, they fight for a bit. Or, well, they try to stop one another for a bit. It's probably more like it. And it's a really cool-looking scene here. We got force against force, right? Until D-Cell goes down. So it's like a, it's like a standoff here. And the ch- Juggernaut's charging towards her. She's got her powers pushing him back. She's overwhelmed. So she goes down. Then Juggernaut, whose momentum catches up with him, crashes right through a wall, covering poor D-Cell in the rubble. Now he digs her out while some more millennials film this on their phone. Next stop, 
the Bellevue Trauma Center where Kane has brought D-Cell. Now, she suffered a couple of busted ribs, but she'll be okay. Juggernaut waits for her to wake up, and when she wakes up, he tells her that he'd like to help her. And this relates to another flashback, because you see, D-Cell is at a crossroads, right? Well, not too long ago, Juggernaut was at the literal crossroads in Limbo. It took him 30 days to find his way there, and all he's got now is the Juggernaut helmet. He was, you know, he's being, he's depowered, so he couldn't manage to drag the entire thing with him for an entire month. So all he's got is the helmet. Kane places the helmet on one of the limbs of the crossroads thing, and he's zapped out of limbo. Uh, I'm not sure if this was a sort of sacrifice or what. Um, I probably understand just about as much about Limbo as I do Otherworld, and I think they're both quite boring. Um, we jump back to the present. We learn that D-Cell is a uh, YouTube superstar. Well, a Rockstube superstar. Uh, she posted a video of their fight, and it got over a million views, which, as we all know, is the most important thing in the world. She's also quite adamant that she is, in fact, not a mutant. But I suppose time will eventually tell. She basically gives him the quick and dirty on, like, any number of Marvel origin stories, claiming it to be her own. She calls it a science accident, which, I mean, that's like half of them, right? Oh, and in, in addition to the Juggernaut fight, Diesel and her squatting friends, they post their prank videos to Rockstube, which I hope, really hope we never get to see. Um, now, while sharing stories, Kane plainly states that he's currently under the employ of damage control, which, I mean, we pretty much figured that by now, but it's nice to have actual confirmation. Juggernaut asks what D-Cell's real name is, but she ain't talking, and he agrees not to press the issue. We wrap up the story with D-Cell handing over her phone to show Kane some damage that might be in dire need of controlling. And we look on the screen, and it is the Hulk. And that is the first issue of this Juggernaut miniseries. Next episode, we will be talking about the free comic book day story featuring our X-Men, leading, hopefully, <laughs> right into X of Tens. But let's talk about Juggernaut here for a bit. This wasn't quite as tied into our Dawn of X books as I thought it might have been. I could have sworn that I'd read somewhere that that this series starts off with uh, Juggernaut being... Um, Denied uh, access to Krakoa Or denied the option to live on Krakoa It might be more like it I could have sworn I read that somewhere Maybe I didn't read that somewhere Maybe I dreamt it Or maybe it's something that'll be Maybe it's an issue 2 or issue 3 I don't know I guess time will have to tell for us here Because we do have Exitens coming up So if we do get back to this story It'll be after that Um if anybody out there would like for me to include the rest of the Juggernaut miniseries into X-Lapsed, please reach out and let me know, and uh, I'd be happy to do it. Now, the only tie to our mainline X-Books here is a mention of Krakoa being a place where D-Cell might learn a little bit more about her powers. And really, that's all we need, right? I mean, this isn't... this really isn't an X-Men story. This is a story of uh, the Juggernaut on a redemption arc here. He's trying to do things, uh, you know... On the straight and narrow He's working for damage control uh, I don't know the story where he went to Limbo I'm assuming that was probably In the most recent Uncanny X-Men volume I know I joked about them being <laughs> Could be from any of them 
but I'm pretty sure it was probably in the pre-Hoxpox, um, and I mean the just barely pre-Hoxpox, like Volume 5, I think it was, of Uncanny. I'm guessing that's where it happened, um, because that wasn't too terribly long ago. I don't know how the story went, though. I could have sworn that Magic had yanked the Sidorak gem out, like in Volume 2 of Uncanny, and somehow Colossus got it because he became the Juggernaut for a minute. I don't think it's that one, though, because I don't think Juggernaut's been on the shelf that long. I, I'm pretty sure he was part of the opening arc for X-Men Blue, which came, you know, several years after that. I'm guessing that as this miniseries rolls on, we're going to see more and more about uh, Kane's time in Limbo and how he uh, maybe had his, you know, come to the side of angels uh, meeting with himself. I could be completely wrong, but that's just how I see this going, and that's perfectly fine. You know, I've got no problem with that. I gotta say, I am getting a little bit tired of turning all of our bad guys into good guys. Um, but, I mean, this wouldn't be Kane's first dalliance with uh, the good guys, right? He was, uh, he was a full-fledged X-Man during the, uh, that run that we don't like to talk about, right? I do have faith that Mr. Nisiesa will uh, steer this one the way it needs to go here, so I'm sure this is going to turn out really, really good. Um, is it something that I'm going to run out and grab the next five issues of? Maybe. Maybe. Um, it certainly wasn't on my radar before this, but after reading the first issue here, and uh, I kind of dug it. You know, I, you know, I can do without all the you know filming on the cell phone sort of stuff here and this uh, rocks tubes stuff. I, I don't need that in my comics, but. I mean, it is current year, right? So uh, we're just going to get that kind of stuff from this point on. Let's talk about the art for a minute here, because it uh, I misread something, I mi- or I misunderstood uh, a page in this. It was, was not entirely clear to me. And that's not to say I didn't like the art. I really did like the art. It's been a long time since I've seen uh, Ron Garney's work here, so it was really, really cool to see his work again. But that page where Juggernaut is charging toward D-Cell, and D-Cell is pushing him back here, the way it's drawn, I had to look at it a few times here because it isn't 100% clear that D-Cell just um, exhausts herself and, and passes out. At first glance, it looked like she actually managed to stop the Juggernaut with her powers there, and... I about threw the uh, threw the book across the room. It's like, okay, we're gonna bring in a brand new, you know, kid hero, and is is going to this is gonna be the first person to stop the Juggernaut? Are we really doing this? But that was just my misunderstanding. So uh, I guess a uh, an unnecessary mea culpa for misreading that. But uh, I do think that that scene could have been um, more clearly laid out there. Of course, you know, when you read past it, it's clear what happened, but. For that page, I was like, oh, no. (laughs) No, we're not bringing in a brand new person to stop the juggernaut, are we? Because, I mean, that's kind of how it goes with these new young heroes, right? It's they, They stand around and they're told how cool they are. And they tell each other how cool they are. And that's part of the reason why my Marvel uh, pull list became much, much smaller over the past several years. And, and, you know, in fairness, DC does the same thing as well. So I was a little concerned, but uh, concerned for nothing. <laughs> concerned for nothing. I uh, really enjoyed the art here, really enjoyed the story. It was uh, exactly what it needed to be, right? And that's really all I got to say about it. Uh, if if you folks would like me to uh, con- include issues two through, I think, six, I think it's a six-issue mini, in X-Lapsed, once we're out the other end of X-Attends, please reach out and let me know, and uh, we will we will do that. 
But speaking of reaching out, let's dip into the mailbag here, okay? We're going to start with Damien, who's discussing New Mutants number 12. Now, he says, You may have been looking forward to this issue, but I had been dreading it. There had been so much politically naive material in recent X-Books that I was worried that we would get an obvious straw man as the person behind Docs. That's the anti-mutant online magazine. It turns out that I was pleasantly surprised. It wasn't subtle, but it didn't hit you with a sledgehammer either. Ultimately, it's a pretty good ending to the first part of the Doc story. Well, I didn't know that it's a that that we're going to be revisiting Docs. I, I, you know, you guys are further in the future than I am, <laughs> or I'm further in the past, I guess, because you guys are actually in the present. But uh, I am still in the past, so I don't know that Docs comes back. I'm. That makes the uh, that makes the medicine go down a bit smoother because if this was a one and done and we were building to this. Eh, it wasn't terribly satisfying. It was not terribly satisfying. Damien continues. Why do people keep using Nova Roma in stories? <laughs> there were a hundred of the original New Mutants issues, and they keep returning to the worst story in the run. Seriously, I'd prefer it if they brought back Bird Boy. It probably doesn't help that the inhabitants of Nova Roma have had more retcons than the Phoenix at this point. I even think they've all been murdered before. Yeah, yeah, when I see Nova Roma... Uh, you know, it's funny, because I keep talking about the thing, the X-Men stories that I don't like. And I wonder if folks listening ever get to the point where, the, where they think, are there any X-Men stories that he does like? Because I, I hate the Savage Land, I hate space, I hate Nova Roma. <laughs> I mean, all these, like... I, I, like, I don't need the X-Men to be street level. I don't need them to be Daredevil, right? I don't need them to be Spider-Man. And, oh, God only knows with Spider-Man nowadays, I haven't touched that in ages, so for all I know, he, he could be revealed as a, as a half-alien, whatever the hell. But I, I, I seriously wonder, if uh, if people wonder about me, like, what, what stories does... What possible X-Men stories could this person like, since he hates everything? And I I assure you, I don't hate everything. But uh, Nova Roma, yeah, not, not a fan of Nova Roma. It feels like one of those, um, just a weird tacked on sort of place from like the Claremont bank of stories right it's like well we'll mention that she's from this place and then we'll go back there a few times or we'll, we'll mention that they have this relation and then we'll we'll dig into that later a lot of the things I love about Claremont but when it's something that I find boring and, and we keep going back to it yeah not my favorite sort of thing uh, Damien wraps up with anyway I'm about to go listen to your landmark 100th episode now and until Nova Roma is revealed to be in Nebraska, make my next lapsed. Well, thank you so much, Damien, for uh, writing in about this very odd issue here. And and you're right, I was definitely looking forward to this thing. I don't know why <laughs> I was looking forward to it so much, but I was expecting uh, I was expecting a lot from that. Well, not a lot, but more from that issue. And hey, if uh, you remember my power rankings for the Dawn of X Wave One Number Twelve, it was my top number 12 just because it wasn't the other books i guess but thanks again <laughs> and uh next our friend jody is talking about x-men number 12 brief thoughts on x-men number 12 as i finished the issue it was certainly not the first time i thought i don't understand any of that i can't wait for chris to tell me what it's all about and thanks for giving it a try yeah i did try i don't know if i made it any clearer for anybody this was X-Men number 12 uh, was the exposition dump that gets us to X of 10s, right? And 
it was just so crammed full of information that I'm sure some people find wildly interesting. Unfortunately, I'm not one of those people. So I guess we can add Arako stories to uh, stories that Chris doesn't like. <laughs> uh, Jody continues. I've been reading comics my entire life, and I'm certainly no slouch. Some writers, certainly Hickman to me anyways, seemingly have a I'm smarter than you try to keep up with me attitude at times. This seemed abundantly so during his Avengers run, which I just gave up on. And you know, I've talked about this before here, where um, I don't want to, you know, besmirch or project, but uh, there is certainly a tone in a lot of writers' work. That, uh, that is similar to that And I I blame us I, I've said this before But I mean If you were a writer Or anything If you were any sort of Entertainer or content creator And you were told time after time After time after time That you are a genius By anybody who looks at your work Then you're gonna start thinking you are We've seen it in both the big companies. We've seen it a lot of places. You know, if a writer is told that that their work is the, you know, the best take on insert character here, then they're going to start to believe that, and uh, they will start questioning anybody who uh, dares say otherwise. Um, now, it's not to say that Hickman isn't the, an extremely intelligent guy, because clearly he is. Uh, I just think that he has different interests. Than uh, a lot of us do Or maybe just some of us do uh, He might find the history and the lore Of Arako and Krakoa To be You know, the next the next big thing the, the, the coolest thing in the world Where, sorry, I don't agree And of course, as I mentioned during that episode That has a lot more to do With the pacing Than, than the actual story beats Because there was a lot of interesting stuff there Just the way it was presented it didn't allow any of the interesting bits to breathe So it was just like, here's information, here's information, here's information Keep up, keep up, keep up, keep up And we're done And to me that doesn't work Especially with, you know, we were fiddle friggin' around with stupid comedy books For the four issues that preceded this one And, and cash-ins for Empire That this could have been fleshed out so much better Hickman could have taken us on a ride Instead of taking us up to the top story In an elevator and then dropping us to the floor Which is basically what we got This was not a ride, this was a Dead drop uh, Jody continues I would say I have an average to above average Understanding of X-Men and X-Men lore And sometimes you hit a plot point like this And you feel like, boy, what am I missing here? So when I hear someone like you Yourself who is a you don't have to say it, I will A bit of a scholar and is lost It makes you feel somewhat disinterested I don't know how you get into a book like this With a $3.99 price tag nonetheless And expect to bring in a single new reader Much less not alienate the ones already buying it True statement, true statement um, But one correction here I am a certified fake-ass comics scholar So that's uh, <laughs> that's one thing here But yeah, this was a... Uh, this was a toughie This was definitely a toughie I would I mean It's almost like cliche To To say like Every book should be Every book can be someone's first Because I think that ship sailed Long, long, long time ago Unfortunately But to your point here I think um, Anybody listening to this show Has a pretty good grasp On uh, On some 
aspects of X-Men lore and X-Men history, or just an appreciation for any sort of lore or history, regardless of the topic here. We all understand the concept of world-building. We all understand concepts of characterization and plots building upon itself and growing and expanding and just coming alive. X-Men number 12 didn't do that. It forced it. It forced so much story into a tiny funnel that what we got out the other end didn't even it wasn't even recognizable as a story. It was just like here's some distilled stuff you need to care about, you need to know about. Uh, and maybe for all I know the interesting parts of this expositional dump will be fleshed out during X of Tens here. Because I, I know I know there are listeners to this show who didn't buy X-Men number 12, but enjoyed the X of Swords crossover event. So maybe a lot of these things that are being distilled into, what, 18 pages? I don't know how long comics are these days. I, I, we're not allowed to count the pages. We get, we get laughed at by the pros if we do that. So we'll say... 18 to 20 pages, they distilled the story. Maybe it'll get revisited during X of Swords. Maybe we're going to get half an issue dedicated to those crucifixes. We're going to get half an issue devoted to uh, a Genesis. Who knows? Who knows? But uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed, and we will try to maintain our optimism. But uh, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts there uh, on X-Men number 12 there, Jody. Thanks so much. Uh, we're going to go next to Andrew Franklin is talking about Cable number 4. Now he starts with, Life has gotten busy and made me behind on the podcast, but today I finally have time to catch up. A few hours of X-Lapse will make good company while I try and survive the New Jersey MVC, or DMV, as it might be called in other states and in the media, and do some back-issue bin diving. Yeah, we always called it the DMV in New York, but out here it's the MVD in Arizona. So I still call it the DMV, and I get looked at sideways. But uh, I, I definitely appreciate the opportunity to keep you company while you're uh, waiting in line or safely standing six feet behind someone who uh, can't find their ID and uh, holds up the line for Lord only knows how long. Hopefully, at the time I'm recording this, hopefully you're already back home safe and sound. But uh, I appreciate spending the time with you nonetheless. Andrew continues. I'm behind on my reading, too, so you and everyone listening have future knowledge I've yet to experience. But from where I am in the time stream, Cable continues to be the best X-book. The biggest thing to stand out to me this issue was the art change. I actually had to check a few times to make sure Phil Noto was still the credited artist. After the third page, everything on the page has an outline, and there seems to be more inking in general. Noto has always had a painterly style, his pages looking more like watercolor than a traditional illustration, so this was a big change. I'm not complaining because it looks great. I just wonder why the style changed three pages into the issue. I didn't notice. Does that make me a bad, fake-ass comics reviewer? I didn't even notice. (laughs) I didn't notice there was a change in the art style here, and I don't have the book next to me now, otherwise I'd I'd pick it up and flip through it to see... But uh, Noto, versatile artist, versatile artist. Yeah, I'm gonna definitely have to dig that issue back up again and give it another look just uh, to see what I uh, see what I can notice this time around. 
Andrew continues, The bit with the nuke and Cable's arm confused me as well the first time I read it. Now I'm fairly certain that that teen Cable pulled a Bill and Ted. In the original movie, I assume you haven't seen it. No, I have not. There's a scene where they need to get a set of keys, but those keys went missing a few days ago. So they have a conversation about how they should go back in time to before the keys went missing and then hide the keys behind a specific bush for them to find in the future. While they're talking, they check behind the bush and the keys are there. They realize the keys went missing because their future selves went back in time and hid them behind this bush, and that they will have to remember to go back in time at some point and take the keys and put them behind the bush for themselves to find. As I can make sense of it, that's basically what Kid Cable does. Resolves to, at a future time, set up the events so they'll have a nuke bomb arm in the present. A classic Bill and Ted maneuver. I think you solved it. I've never seen Bill and Ted. I do, I, my only Bill and Ted knowledge, I played the Nintendo game and it was horrible, but uh, I do live probably about a half hour away from the Circle K that was in that movie. So uh, I've been to the uh, the Circle K where where something is a foot or something is a rye or I don't remember the line. I've never seen the movie, but uh, I have been there. But that is that is as good an explanation as any, and I think you hit the nail on the head there. It wasn't made 100% clear, but I, I think you're 100% right there. Andrew continues, Like you always say, it's harder to talk about a great issue, and that's how I'm feeling now. Not really much more to say other than Cable Number 4 continues this book's great fun run. I really enjoyed it, and I hope Duggan and Noto continue to work magic through the upcoming crossover. So, until we get the introduction of Teen Strife, make mine next left. Oh, could you imagine that? Oh, we probably shouldn't even put that out into the universe, because I, I, I... Oh, man, that's going to happen, isn't it? Yeah, we're probably going to get a teen strife. <laughs> now, I totally agree uh, on everything you said there. It, it is so much harder to talk about a great issue, and I really hope that Duggan and Noto keep it, keep on keeping on throughout, throughout X of Tens. And I think Noto actually contributes to some other X-books uh, during X of Tens. I could be completely wrong or misremembering my sorting, but uh, I think he might actually... Uh, I think we might see him in some other titles, which, hey, nothing wrong with that, right? But uh, that will do it for our mailbag here. Uh, if anybody would like to write in and chat me up about anything you want, please feel free to do so. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics or WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com. You can find blog posts and show notes over at Chris'sOnInfiniteEarths.com. Also, xlapsed.chris'sOnInfiniteEarths.com if you don't have any interest in any of the other stuff I do. Which, hey, that's all good. Uh, you can chat us up on Facebook. Find our little group, 90s X-Men. It's like the Facebook.com, one of those slash things, 90s X-Men. And you'll find us, and you can talk with us about whatever you want. Uh, you can listen to anything from the Chris and Reggie Audio Archives at chrisandreggie.podbean.com, available on all of your noise aggregation device things. Um, I think that'll do it, actually. You know what, a little bit of housekeeping here, because... I mentioned this during um, Ex Lapsination episode 3. That's the Sunday special series where we're looking at the Extermination miniseries from 2018. I mentioned there that, uh, that we're moving, me and the wife. We are moving to a new house. And so uh, I had a lot of things planned that might be pushed off a little bit, but they're still coming here. Um, I, this was supposed to be a surprise. I had enlisted a lot of very talented folks to join me for a presentation of the X of Swords handbook. So we were each going to cover 
the X of Swords handbook is kind of an Ohatmu official handbook sort of thing, where there are profiles in there and a lot of uh, continuity and canon, and I figured rather than just have me dryly read and argue with continuity, that I'd have folks join me and lend their voices to the proceedings as well. So that episode was supposed to be coming out, I think, three episodes from now, but we're moving and time is more of a premium than ever, so that might be pushed back a bit. Uh, it's still coming. It's still definitely coming, but... Uh, and the release schedule shouldn't be affected. Uh, there'll still be shows coming out consistently, but that episode... I think it's currently earmarked for episode 112. It, it's very likely going to be pushed back. I apologize to all the folks who, uh, I guess, have the misfortune of being in my social circle <laughs> for um, kind of dropping the ball and really you know, backloading this month here. I've got the move, and also uh, on, the thir- on the 31st of January is the five-year anniversary of Chris's on Infinite Earths as a daily comics uh, discussion and review site and i'm not even sure i'll have time to celebrate that so we will we will hope for the best and uh, that episode will be coming out just a little bit later than originally planned but uh, i think that's all i've got i'd like to thank you all so so much for sharing your time with me today and until next time as always i'll talk to you again real soon see ya Oh